Well, it was a hot summer evening in June. You know, it's hot all the time in Florida in June, and so it was in the middle of, it was late at night, but it was still warm. I'll never forget, our family had been in an outing in Palatka. Some of you know where Palatka is. And so um, we, we, were, we were finishing up the event. It was a graduation of a family member. And so we were at graduation, finished up graduation, when my granddaughter, Aliana, was really wanting to go spend the night with a friend back in Keystone. We were coming through Keystone, so of course I said, we'll take her. So Beth and I volunteered to take Aliana to Keystone for the night of her friend. Everything was going well. It was about 10.30 at night, way past my bedtime, okay? Um, and um, we decide, I have a decision to make. I, I, I'm trying to find this friend's house. My decision is, do I listen to GPS or do I listen to Aliana? I'm not really sure because GPS is saying go this way. Aliana is saying go that way. And unfortunately, I decided to listen to the GPS. And uh, if you know GPS, they don't take all things into account. And so we're coming through this road, and it tells me to turn on a road that I would call a dirt road, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and so we're turn, we turn onto this dirt road, and then I quickly realized that the dirt road was not a dirt road, it was a sand road. And almost immediately, my tires started spinning, and I realized 10.30 at night, in a bad neighborhood, in the middle of nowhere, with these two ladies... I'm stuck. Now, all of us have been stuck at one time or another, so we know it is not a fun thing to be stuck. Well, obviously I got out because here I am today, right? But I tell you that story because I want to talk to you about being stuck today. All right? Not in sand, not in mud, not in cement. I want to talk about being stuck in somewhat of a rut. You ever feel like... You're stuck in a rut, particularly spiritually. Now, now, you can get that way in all of life, right? I mean, you can get there in any part of life that you choose, but particularly, I want to talk today about spiritually. Sometimes we get into a spiritual rut, and, and we often are looking for, I run into people all the time, and frankly, I have too. You're always looking for some kind of a spiritual renewal, spiritual revival, spiritual moment that can jog us out of the rut, Maybe you're here this morning because you thought, well, I need to get out of this rut. Maybe if I go to church, I can get out of the rut of life, out of the spiritual rut that I'm in. We all kind of get there. Well, the children of Israel were in a spiritual rut. If you remember last week, we opened our study of the book of Judges by talking a little bit about their history and, and how they had gotten to where they were. We talked about how Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, across the sands, the desert sands of the Saudi, of the, um, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, we would call it today. The Bible simply refers to it as the the desert, the wilderness, the Negev. And, and so they wandered around for 40 years, right, complaining. They finally got to get into the promised land. Joshua is their new leader, and everything is fine as long as Joshua is alive. But when Joshua dies, the children of Israel go deep into a rut. In fact, the book of Judges at the very end tells you the state of the people and defines it very clearly. And here's what it says. I won't quote it exactly because we all have different versions of the Bible. But here's, here's in essence what it says. It says the people did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody 
did what was right in his own eyes. Now that was written about a people several thousand years ago. And yet, could any words be truer spoken of our situation today? Everybody really just does what is right in his or her own eyes. That, so some of you have been wondering, so why are we studying a book that is so ancient and so old, and, and how can that possibly be relevant? Well, there you go. Immediately we find ourselves in a similar situation. We do what is right in our own eyes, and then we're surprised when we find ourselves in some kind of a spiritual rut. The children of Israel had found themselves there. They were asking the question, how did we get here? If you didn't get last week, I don't have time to go and review it completely. You could listen to the podcast. But you remember that the children of Israel were described as a generation who rose up after Joshua died who did not know the Lord. All their fathers had known the Lord. Their fathers had followed the Lord. But now a new generation rises who does not know the Lord. And they find themselves in this rut and they begin to ask the question, how did we get here? I don't know how we got here. And we talked about the importance of that because we all ask that question at some point in life. How did we get here? I've heard it said of marriages. We just started off, everything was great, and we were on a honeymoon, and everything was perfect, and then we get in this mess, and I don't know how we got here, where we are today. I've heard it over finances. I've heard it in many areas of life. How did we get here? Well, today, I want to take that same step a little bit further and what I want to talk about today is this question, and that is, how do I keep getting stuck here? It's one thing to say, how did I get here? And maybe you're past the here, but how do you keep from getting stuck here over and over and over? Am I talking to anybody this morning or just me? I mean, I get stuck and I keep asking, my, asking myself, how do I keep getting stuck here? So I think the book of Judges helps us. Because in the book of Judges, we have this recurring, I don't know, we could call it a cycle, we could call it a season, or we could call it a rut. But basically, the, ch the, the children of Israel in the time of the Judges find themselves in this spinning, downward spiraling cycle that keeps putting them in a rut. And just when they have this great spiritual renewal, this spiritual revival from a spiritual leader, everything looks good, and then they spiral right back down to the same mess. And the more I think about it, the more I think it resembles my life at times, right? Because I'm stuck in this rut. I find, my, I find a way to somehow a spiritual leader comes along or a, a spiritual mentor comes along and kind of picks me out of that rut and, and everything's good. And then right back down, how do I keep from getting stuck here over and over? Well, I think we need to learn. We need to learn from the mistake of others and from our own mistakes. The children of Israel evidently didn't learn. So, I want you to take your Bible if you have it, or your, maybe it's on your phone or your tablet, or maybe you have a hard copy. It'll be up on the screen. I want to read Judges chapter 2 for you, or a portion of Judges 2, where we left off last week. Now, the interesting thing is, this is week two of a four-week study, so through, at the end of this, we're halfway through, and yet we're still really giving you somewhat of an introduction 
And today is really like a second introduction to this book of Judges. But here's our point. And can I just make sure you understand this? We can't cover every judge. So I know all of you have been wondering, and some of you have been asking, which judges are we going to cover? Which judges are we going to look like? Because we all, or look at, because we all have our favorite judges or ones we like to look at or study or whatever. Guess what? We cannot look at all of them in four weeks. There's too many. Our goal is to help you help us to know how to read this book of Judges on our own. If we can understand the nature of it, the content of it, then we can better read the book. Now, I'm telling you, if you get this that we're going to talk about today, you get the book of Judges, and you can read it through, and it will begin to finally make sense. Judges chapter 2, I want to begin reading with verse number 11. It says, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Hold on right there. Let me just stop and say, here's what I want you to look for as we read. I want you to read for, look for this cycle. I want you to look for this, um, this season, this, this spiraling downward that happened, okay? So the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight, they worshipped the Baals. Baal, sometimes we say. You know what Baal is? Baal, or Baal, was a, an idol. It was a god that was worshipped by the Canaanites, a Canaanite god. Now, if you remember, you who are Bible students, you remember that the Israelites were supposed to, what? Destroy all the idols. They were supposed to get rid of all the Canaanites. They were supposed to wash this enemy, run the enemy out. And now we find that they're here and the Israelites are worshipping idols. Can you believe that? Here they are, delivered miraculously from Egypt. Here they have been walked, their, their forefathers have walked through the Red Sea and the city or the River Jordan. They've conquered all of these battles incredibly, and yet they're worshiping idols. Now before you scratch your head and say, well, how could people, God's people, ever do that? Hold on. What does Lee Corso say? Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> Think about it. We're guilty today, aren't we? How many times do we, the children of the living God, who have been saved by grace through faith, who have experienced the mercy of God upon our lives and our sin, who have the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, how many of us who name the name of Christ today turn and begin to worship Baal. Baal. You say, I don't have any little idols in my house. Maybe you don't have idols in your house that you bow down to, but you have idols in your life that you bow down to. I constantly try to deal with those idols in my own heart, those things that come between me and God, those things that I worship more than God. And I hate to disappoint you, but there are some in my life that I have to deal with daily. So these people are worshiping Baal. Look at the next verse, verse 12. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord. I bet they did. For they abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the Ashtoreths. That's another god, the goddess Asherah. So they have all of these Canaanite gods that they're worshiping that they were supposed to have delivered out, supposed to have run out of their life, and here they are still worshiping them. Look at verse 14. 
says, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Have you ever heard the phrase, the wrath of God? It's kind of an old phrase. We don't use that word wrath a lot anymore, but I think it's a pretty good word because it even sounds kind of tough. The wrath, the anger, that's the idea of God. The anger of God burned against the children of Israel. And he handed them, watch this, he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out to the Lord, or whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. Now watch the cycle begin to turn. Verse 14. The Lord raised up judges who delivered them, saved them, that's the idea, or delivered them from the power of their marauders. But they did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. They quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. They did not do as their fathers did. Look at the next verse. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, following their gods to serve them and bow in their worship to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. What a mess. Now, did y'all follow that? Did you see the cycle? And I, I say it's a cycle because it, it was a, a path that they followed, and, and you're going to find it happening over and over and over again. I drew a little chart, a little picture that may help, and uh, so I want you to take a look at it, and uh, maybe it'll help illustrate. Sometimes I can see things better, and so watch this. Look at, look at the dark blue on the top where it says sin. Here's the cycle. The children of Israel would sin against God, by the way, typically by worshiping idols that they were supposed to have driven out. Then their sin led to punishment from God. When they sinned, what happened? God's anger, his wrath burned against them. And, and so this anger, this, this wrath of God would bring punishment upon the people. Then that would be followed by remorse. They were sorry. Why were they sorry? Because they got caught, right? There wasn't always a genuine sense of repentance. It was more of a remorse for what's happening. Look what God is happening. Look what God's doing in this. And, and we're remorseful. And then there was a rescue. God would then say, okay, I'm going to send a judge, a deliverer, a rescuer to rescue the people from the enemy. Because part of the punishment was God would use the enemies of the children of Israel to come against them. He would cause them to be defeated. They would have remorse. He would send a judge. The judge would come and there would be peace in the land. Watch this. As long as the judge was alive. You say, okay, Pastor Eddie, I see that. That's pretty easy to see. Why is it a cycle? Because watch this. What happened when the judge died? The same thing started over again. The judge would die, and the people would rebel. The people would go back to their idols. They would sin against God. 
the wrath of God would be seen against sin, and he would send punishment in the form of another enemy who would come against the children of Israel. Once again, they would be defeated. In their defeat, they would be remorseful. Oh, God, we know we messed up, and so now we're in this mess. We understand how we got here. We're still stuck in this rut. Finally, God would send a judge, another judge, who would come to the rescue, save the people from the enemy, and everything would be at peace. Until the judge died. And when the judge died, what do you think happened? You're picking up. Same thing. Through every one of these judges. So you need to understand, we need to grasp this cycle when we read Judges. And to get what we need to get from the Judges, we need to understand this cycle. Now here's why it's so relevant for today. Because can I ask you this? Aren't we very similar and in a very similar type of cycle? Do you ever find yourself in this kind of a cycle? What that, that is where, you know what? We come to faith in Christ. I'm talking to children of God right now. We come to faith in Christ, and everything is wonderful, and we're on this spiritual high, and we think, oh, this is just wonderful, great things. And then what happens? Over time, sin begins to edge back into our lives. We begin to slip back into the path of sin. It's so easy, isn't it? And I think the reason is because Paul says our old man is not dead. We still have this old man alive with us. And Paul said you need to die daily to that old man. But every now and then that old sinful nature in us rises up its old ugly head and shows itself. We call it getting in the flesh. Every now and then I'll say something to Beth or I'll react to something around her and I'll say, uh, forgive me, that's the flesh coming out in me right now. I need to die to that flesh. But sometimes that just sin just sticks its head up and, and that sin happens and then after sin begins to come into our life, things begin to go awry and consequence of that sin is always present. And the consequence of sin is real. And while God does forgive sin, and we'll talk about that in a minute, consequences still remain. And then when consequence comes, what do we do? We get remorseful. I better get back to church. I don't know why that's always our first thing. But that's our first, I need to get back to church. Or I need to get back in the Word. Or, or I need to get my life worked out. Or I don't know how I got here. How do I keep getting stuck here? But here I am. And, and then we begin to cry out to God. And we begin to say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then keep that slide up there if you would, please. The next thing that happens is after that, we have this moment. We have some kind of a spiritual renewal. And somehow we get that joy back. And everything's wonderful. Until, <laughs> am, am I the only one? Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. But I'm just telling you, it happens to me. I just got this cycle like, oh my, here we go again. And all of a sudden when things begin to get good, I forget God. And then I'm right back in the cycle again. The cycle just keeps moving, keeps going. Now here's the good news I have for us today. I want you to see this cycle, and I want you to see it in the judge. And we're going to look at the first judge and see this cycle very clearly. But I want to tell you this. Spoiler alert, this is where I'm going at the end. Guess what good news? Jesus has broken the cycle. 
And the good news is we don't have to continue spiraling downward. In fact, we can trend upward. Now, having said that, let's go back to the judges. I want to show you the first judge who's going to illustrate this cycle perfectly. <clears throat> In fact, it's the best illustration that we have of the cycle. Now, this is not going to be the most, uh, most exciting judge that we're going to look at. We're, we're going to look at him and you're going to say, We've been all excited and pumped about this. Nothing particularly exciting about this first judge. But we're chosen to zero in here for a moment because he is a perfect illustration of this cycle that I'm talking about. And you can see it as it works in his life. And then you'll be able to see how to work the other judges. All right? His name is Othniel. Othniel. Now... Uh, we're introduced to him first in the first chapter where he uh, gets a bride, but I, I don't have time to go back and look at that. Let's just go on to chapter 3, and let me show you what happens to the first judge, Othniel. And see, as we read, if you can pick out the cycle, okay? Beginning in verse number 7. Verse 7 says this. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Okay? That should be no surprise to you at this point. They forgot the Lord their God and worshipped the Baals and Asherahs. So, they, just like we said, they, they forget God. <clears throat> the reason I love that wording is because I see that happening today. Think about it. We forget God. I, I've said this so many times. People pray for our nation to have revival. Maybe it's you. I hear people pray that our nation will have revival. But you know what? Understand this. Revival. I'm not a prophet. Don't claim to be. I'm a prophet in foretelling, but not foretelling. But I know this. For our nation to have revival and come to a place of repentance, I'm afraid it's going to take a big crash to our nation. We're way too wealthy right now. We don't need God. And so we forget God. You know what happens when I go down to Grand Bahama Island? I see these people who've lost everything. Guess where their attention is? On God Almighty. Why? Because there's nothing else to grab their attention. They have nothing. But we come to America and we're pretty good. You know, we've got our, our jobs and we've got our salaries and we've got our income and we've got our houses and we've got our land and we've got our stuff. And you know what? We're not rich as you think of rich, rich, rich. We're not rich as in billionaire rich. But, oh, we are so rich and we tend to forget the Lord. So I look at these people. And it says they forgot the Lord. I understand where they're coming from. Look at verse 8. The Lord's anger burned against Israel. That should sound familiar to you right now. And sold them to King Kushan Rishathayim. Did I say that right? Anybody who says no can come up here and say it right. Okay. I think that's fair. That's at least an American way to say it. Rishathayim. He turns him over to this king. Shouldn't surprise you. Part of the cycle. And the Israelites served him eight years. So they sin against God. God sends his wrath through this king, and they serve this king for eight years. So they are held captive. Now, serving this king probably means they're paying taxes to him. Some of them are probably being taken captive to him. They're in bondage. Look at the next verse. The Israelites cried out to the Lord. There it is. There's a remorse. In this case, there's some repentance. The Israelites cried out to the Lord. So the Lord raised up Othniel, son of Kenaz. K 
Caleb's youngest brother as a, watch this, deliverer to save the Israelites. You could say as the judge. So the Israelites cried to the Lord. The Lord raised up Othniel, Caleb's youngest brother, as the judge to come and to save the families. Look what it says in verse 10. The Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he judged Israel. Othniel went out to battle, and the Lord handed over King Cush Anarishthiam of Aram, or Aram to him, so that Othniel overpowered him. Then Israel, watch this, or then the land. Then the land had peace for 40 years. Now, did you catch the cycle? The land had peace for 40 years. Did you see it? There it was. Israel was at peace, but they rebelled against God. They sinned against God. They worshiped the idols of the Canaanites, Asherah and Baal. God's anger was provoked. He sent an enemy, Aram, and Aram came and took them captive for eight years. They were held captive until they cried out to God, and God sent Othiel, the judge, the deliverer. They had a revival, and there was peace in the land for 40 years. You see the cycle? It's so clear, right? It happens every judge. But here's the key. I don't want you to miss it. And Othiel... Son of Canaz died. Died. Now, why is that so important? Because until now, all this has been perfect. But when Othniel dies, the cycle starts all over again. It seems to me, even at a casual reading, that what the judges, what the people of Israel needed was a judge who never died. Their problem started when the judge died. If we could just get a judge that would never die, everything would be great. But they always were looking for the next spiritual high, the next renewal, the next revival, the next leader who would come. Who's going to be our next leader who will come. We kind of look at that. Wasn't there, a, wasn't there a sadness in America when Billy Graham died not long ago? There was a sadness somewhat. And why? But not for Billy. He's with the Lord enjoying reward for his many years of labor and service to Jesus. But what? there was a sadness. Why? Because a spiritual leader had died. That makes an impact on the land. The prophet Isaiah opens up his book by saying in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. What he was saying is there was this moment that was shaking in my life when a spiritual leader dies. We need a judge who never dies. Well, the good news is the book of Judges prepares us for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Because Jesus comes to break the cycle. This cycle could never be broken. It just keeps going over and over and over again. But then Jesus came. And when Jesus died on the cross, he broke this cycle once for all. So we have a new cycle. Let me show you another chart. This chart, I, I know I'm full of charts today, but uh, bear with me. I want you to see this chart. Look at this Jesus cycle. We have sin, but guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He atoned for our sin. He took care of our sin problem. So guess what? 
Hold on, buckle your seatbelts. When Jesus died on the cross, he took God's wrath for all sin upon himself. What a thought. Now that ought to get y'all more excited than a touchdown. I'm just telling you. Touchdowns don't last and the other teams can score too. Sometimes more than yours. But one thing I know about this, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment of God, God's anger, God's wrath, God's punishment on my sin, he took for me. Therefore, I'm convinced that God's punishment, as we think of punishment, is no longer reserved for his children. He's taken that price. But what he does is brings conviction to your heart because sin continues. Do you understand that, 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 that salvation is somewhat of a cycle, somewhat of a process as well? There's two key words in the, in the theological world that we use. We word, use the word justification. Maybe you've heard that. Justification. It means basically it's, God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. It was explained to me early. Justification means that once and for all, listen to me carefully. This is so key. Once and for all, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sins. And when you came to faith in Christ and you repented of your sins and turned to Christ once and for all, he took care of your sin problem and God's punishment against your sin. Isn't that good to know? I mean, you talk about incredible. People say, well, how do you know you're going to heaven, preacher, one day? Don't you just hope you make it to the end? No, I don't have to worry about that because my sin is already taken care of. It's already done. When God sees Eddie, it's just as if he never sinned. What a gift. What a gift justification. But then there's this other word that we use that talks about a process. It's called sanctification. Have you heard that? Maybe somebody said something to you about being sanctified. Maybe they called you sanctified. Joe, I don't know what they may call you. But here's the thing. Sanctification is a process of salvation that says that even though once in a point in time God has forgiven us of our sin, there is a process of setting us apart in holiness unto him. And how many know... <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek. How many know that when your husband came to faith in Christ, he was not perfect? Don't even pinch him. How many know that your wife, when they came to faith in Christ, when she came to faith in Christ, was not perfect? How many know that when little children come to faith in Christ, they are not perfect? There is a process called sanctification where we grow, where we mature, where God works in and through, in and out of us, sin and the flesh and the old man. We have to die daily to this old man, and there's this cycle that's going on in us because we want to sin, and then we get under conviction, right? And then after conviction, we come to repentance because when God convicts us, we repent, when God convicts us, he repents. Now, sometimes it's consequence of sin that brings us to the place of repentance. But it doesn't have to be. It would be good if we didn't wait for consequences, right? You don't have to wait until you're at the bottom. When God brings sin to your mind, repent. Repentance is just turning from God, turning around, right? It means changing direction. It means we're going one way, one way away from God. Repentance is turning and coming back to God. And we do that. Listen to me carefully. We have to do that regularly. There is a process that we do. We must continually do that. If you think that, oh well, if Pastor Eddie said that God has justified me, if God has saved me and that, that he's taking care of my sin problem, I'm just going to go out here and sin and enjoy life until I die. You've missed it. 
You've missed the point. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church about that, and he said, here's his words. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, there were people who were saying just that in that day. Well, if God loves to forgive sin, and if he's forgiving me my sin once and for all, then I can just go out and I can sin all I want to. And here was Paul's response. God forbid. Or as we would say, no way. You've missed the process. You're still spiraling downward. Notice the arrow. Jesus is trending us upward. There's conviction of sin. There's repentance. And then at repentance, we remember. We remember that Jesus Christ died for my sin. And that God forgives me. So I die to it. And I move on. And guess what takes place? Growth. I've just grown. Because I'm going to log in there something that I need to know. And that is that 2,000 years ago, God sent a judge. God sent a deliverer. Because Eddie was lost in sin. And the anger of God's wrath was about to be poured out upon Eddie's sin. And Jesus came as my deliverer, my rescuer, my judge, if you will, and said, I'll take care of Eddie's sin problem. I'll die in his place. And by doing so, he rescued me and brought peace to my life. Now, here's the good news. My judge never dies. He never dies. Othniel died. All the other judges, Gideon, Samson, go down your list. They all die. And when they all die, the peace is gone. But Jesus is alive forevermore, and he never dies. And our judge is always alive, making intercession for us, says the book of Hebrews. So that we always have our judge, our deliverer, pleading our case and strengthening us for what we're doing. And so he brings conviction in your heart. When you sin and you know, you know when you sin, you sin and that sin comes to your mind. Can I just tell you that is the Holy Spirit of God bringing conviction to your heart. Thank God for it. Don't rebel and go deeper. Thank God for his conviction in your heart. And I'm having too much fun. I'm way over. So let me kind of draw this to a conclusion. Not really having fun. But to me, this is exciting news. So here's the takeaway. Here's what I want you to take away from all this today. And we'll go to another judge another time. Here's the takeaway. Don't keep living in what Jesus has freed you from. You don't have to keep living in this cycle. You can choose to, but you don't have to. He's broken it once for all. You see, the judges, they, they were pre-incarnate. They were before Christ. And, and, and the judges, they just kept falling into the same gap. You and I don't have to. It's your choice. It's your decision. You don't have to get into a rut and fall in that rut. You don't have to get in this rut where you need some kind of a spiritual leader. Here's the problem with our ruts. I know I'm over. Y'all give me two more minutes. Here's our problem. When we get in a spiritual rut, we tend to look for a man to help us out. Or a woman. I'm, I'm talking about not, no gender. 
if I'm in this spiritual rut, what do I do? I need, a, I need someone to help me out, whether it's a preacher, or one of my favorite preachers, or whether it's one of my, you know, mentors, or I need somebody to help me out. I got to call somebody, Derek, hey, you got to help me out. Or, and there's nothing wrong with helping each other, but guess what? I need to come to understand that the only one who can keep me out of the rut is Jesus, not somebody else. I don't need the other stuff to keep me out of the rut. I need Jesus and my faith concentrated on him because he never dies. I only remember having one pastor in my life. <laughs> I've been a pastor since I was 19, so I only had one pastor that I remember. I, I understand I had one when I was younger, but I, I didn't know him. I only had one pastor in my life, and he was my mentor. So it was a big deal when he died. Now, who do I turn to? What do I do? But I quickly learned that my judge, my deliverer, was not my pastor. It was King Jesus. It is King Jesus. I love helping you guys. I love to be of help to anybody I can be of help to. That's why we're going to the Bahamas again next week. We ain't going for the suntan. I love to help people. But I'm not the judge. I'm not the deliverer. But I know the deliverer. And he has delivered me. And he's delivered you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, Maybe you came in with a friend. Maybe you came in by yourself. Maybe you just came in because you saw the crowd gathering. I don't know. Guess what? Jesus died for you too. And you can turn your life over to him and let him be your rescuer once and for all. Don't continue to live in what Jesus has delivered you from. Pray with me, would you? Oh, Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for the privilege and the joy we have to honor you and to just talk about you and your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, for your tender mercy, your abundant, abounding, amazing grace. Thank you for taking the wrath of God for our sins on you. Thank you, O oh God, for being our deliverer, our judge. Now, Lord, help us with this rut thing. So many of us are stuck. I'm pretty sure there's people in the building today who are just stuck. Somewhere in this cycle, trying to figure out how to get out of the sand. God, help us to know that you're our deliverer. That you've dug the way out of the rut. Pushed us out. And saved our soul.